Yes, it is. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. What's up, Wildcats? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, and joined again by Brett Barry. And Brett, seems like for the first time in at least a few weeks, we get to talk about Arizona Wildcats basketball after a win. That was nice. Not just a win, a blowout win over the team from up north, or from where we are currently sitting here in Phoenix. I was going to say, like we, we both live in Phoenix, let's not pretend, but... Anytime you beat ASU, it's a good thing, right? And I know last week you called them the rival, and I questioned that if they're Arizona's basketball rival. And it doesn't matter whether they are or not beating them, especially the way Arizona did 75-47, to 47, a game the Wildcats led from wire to wire. I think the only stat that ASU even beat Arizona in was kisses to the crowd. Also turnovers. Also that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you look at the box score, Arizona was better at everything in this game. And... It's not even the box score. You watch the game. Arizona, we were wondering how they would come out after the St. John's game. It had been two weeks since then. And right off the bat, Arizona looked like a team that was focused, playing with energy, playing with effort, and just showing that the talent gap that we thought they had over a team like ASU was evident. It was there. Yeah, I think a lot of things we wanted to see, we saw, uh, with the exception of, you know, we still weren't shooting the ball well from three. But overall, our, our shooting percentage was up, and I think that's really more an indication. I think Sean Miller talked about it in the press conference of shot selection. And in my mind, shot selection in this game really kind of uh, means how aggressive were they in terms of going, going to the basket. You know, I, I was chatting with you beforehand. I have, a, I have a very simple way of kind of understanding if a team is being passive or aggressive on, on offense. And it's look at the percentage of your shots where you are – when you're shooting, you are moving towards the hoop okay. versus away from the hoop. Like if you're doing step back threes versus you know a drive to the hoop or a, a floater in the lane. If you're always if, in the games that we're uh, losing, and I complain about the aggression, there's not as much going to the hoop as trying to do step back threes and fadeaway jumpers or jump hooks. And you didn't see that in this game nearly as much, and that was a welcome sight for me. Yeah, and that makes sense, too, because you're going towards the hoop. It means you're being aggressive. It means you're making yeah. a move. Step back is kind of like conceding that, well, the defender's got the angle on me. I'm not going to get by him, so I'm just going to take this shot. And, yeah, the three-point shooting wasn't there. Four or 15, but Dylan Smith made two three-pointers. Uh, Nico Mannion made one. The other one was Stone Gettings, who welcomed back to the line of Stone Gettings. He looked pretty solid for Arizona. And, I'm excited about this one because it's always nice to beat ASU. It's even more nice to crush them. But, but it's also not the type of win that you look and say, okay, Arizona's back, Arizona's ready. It's, it was cathartic, I think, because the last couple of weeks for Arizona basketball wasn't fun since the St. John's loss. But ASU is not going to make the NCAA tournament this season, barring anything crazy happening for them. They're not a very good team. Their tournament streak's going to end at two. I, sorry. And playing games at that. Yeah, two straight playing games. Hey, they made it to the, the first round last year, I guess, is what they call it now, right? I mean, I, 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 or the yeah. second round. They made it to the second round. Anyway, they're probably not going to make the tournament this year. Highly unlikely. So when you watch that game, it, it's what you want. When Arizona was beating the bad teams early in the season, saying, you know what, good teams crush the bad teams. I don't know if Arizona State's a bad team, but they're certainly not a good one, and Arizona crushed them. Yeah, and I think... Some of the factors that went into the game with Romello White playing, but you know, probably still being dinged up a little bit, 
probably contributed to one of the things we wanted to see was winning the rebound margin. I think they won the rebound margin by like 14 rebounds, which is a wider margin than we've seen in a while. Um, and, you know, I think that show, it's hard to gauge that when Romello White, clearly their best rebounder, is not 100%. Um, and I'd like to say that the defense looked a little bit better and more consistent. It's kind of hard to say when how good the defense really was when ASU seems to be an offensively challenged team a little bit. Yeah, they missed of, some open looks. Well, and their, you know, their assist-to-turnover ratio is not what you want, where I think they had 15 turnovers versus two assists. When you have more uh, blown kisses to the crowd while down 10. Whoa, 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 whoa. You said 15 turnovers to two assists, but that, but that's guard you. Oh. Those aren't the numbers you would expect from guard you, isn't that? I'm starting what? to think that was a marketing ploy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean it's not, it's, it's not real? No. <laughs> I mean, like I said, they had more blown kisses to the crowd than assists in that game while down 10. Um, and, you know, uh, it's not – Arizona, we had, I think, 13 turnovers, which is not great. It's not bad. But we had, I think, what, 15 assists or something like that? Uh, 17. 17, yeah. So you'd really like that assist-to-turnover ratio to be at least 1.5 to 1 in the college game and maybe even closer to 2. You know, it's not the perfect metric, but it's it's kind of a an indicator of how you're moving the ball, the shots you're taking. Are you being aggressive? Are you, you know, are you running an effective offense? And the thing that was also a bright bright spot to me was, and I think another reason for the high uh, high shooting percentage is we got the ball out in transition a lot more yeah. this game. You got that three second offense again, Josh Green. You know. <laughs> out there. They looked like the Arizona team we saw earlier in the season. Yeah. My personal favorite was Zeke Naji steal the ball coast to coast, slow motion, seeming running, spinning dunk. There was a lot of ASU not stopping the ball, which, I mean, it's a bold strategy, I guess. But but that, that's what you get at is Arizona State is not a, it's not a measuring stick for Arizona. It's a game. This, is, this was more akin to those games that we're used to seeing from Arizona and ASU. So you know what? Play them. Beat the snot out of them, move on to a more difficult opponent, a measuring stick type of game. And, of course, Arizona goes to the Oregon trip after that. But Arizona, with that win, moved up in the polls to number 24 in the AP polls. So, yay, they're still in the top 25. But they're also looking a lot better in the other metrics. The net rating, I think, what number are they in the net rating? Number 13? Yeah, and they're top 12 in Ken Palm? 12 in Ken Palm. So they're not the best team in college basketball, but you look at them and I think they're still hard for people to figure out because if they would have beaten either Baylor, who's now number four in the AP, or Gonzaga, then you're like, all right, that's a good basketball team. If they would have beat St. John, you're like, okay, well, at least they lost to two really good teams, but they're still beating everyone else. That's a good basketball team. But I think it's difficult for people to figure out what to make of them in terms of how you rate them because early in the season, I think they were ranked, where were they to start this season? Like 17, 18 or something? something like and they, that, yeah. they moved up a little bit with their wins, but not a ton because they weren't beating anyone good. And then they lost a couple games and they didn't drop too much. And then the St. John's loss dropped them pretty far. But it's going to take them some time to move back up in the polls, which again, I don't really care about. It's nice to be ranked, I guess, but they have bigger goals than that. Arizona doesn't hang banners for being ranked. But <laughs> at the end of the day, or not the end of the day, I mean, it's it's January, early January, but this is a team that clearly has potential, clearly has the ability to overmatch teams like ASU, who again they're not good, but I don't think they're a super, I don't think they're a terrible team. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. But the numbers, like you, you were looking at the Ken Palm stats earlier about where they are offensively. We know they've been better than defensively this season, but where are they right now? 
So in the adjusted offense, they are ranked 12 in Ken Palm, which is fascinating when you, like, you know, how good were we in those blowout games offensively and in, 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 uh, in Anaheim yeah. to be ranked 12 when we've been so god-awful in the, in the losses, <laughs> like all-time worst offensive performances in the Sean Miller era? Which says a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, the defense, is, uh, I, don't, I can't remember where we were a week or two ago, but the adjusted defense in Ken Palm has a 34, which is... Not where you want to be, but it's, but. it's at least not... We're already a better defensive team than we've been the last couple seasons. Yeah. And I think that there's still more room to grow there. I think I, you know, I still think Josh Green is the only true good perimeter defender. Maybe um, Baker. Smith has moments. Smith has moments. Um, and and then the, you know, I think one of the factors also is we saw a little bit more minutes from Coloco in the ASU game, which you know, yeah, we Not are because Chase Jeter wasn't playing well. Just it was a good game to get Coloco in. Yeah, and I think. Going into Pac-12 play, he might be our big X factor, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And like I said, when he's in there, it's just a different thing that's probably a non-zero factor for uh, impacting our our rebound margin. You'd think so. <laughs> um, and and also, like I said, if he's out there altering shots and getting and getting rebounds and blocking shots, that's how you start the the, the offense in transition. You're not getting the offense in transition after the opponent scores. Yeah, let's talk about him. He played 11 minutes in this game, had eight points, six rebounds, two blocks. Couple of alley oop dunks too, yeah. Of those eight points, like he made an impact. The type that only a player of his size with that skill set can make, and there aren't a lot of those guys out there. I mean, if you get that in eleven minutes from him in every game, you got to feel pretty good about you know our position in in the post going forward in Pac-12 play, right? Because that's, I mean, honestly, if he maintains those kind of rates, he should get more than what was it, eleven minutes? You said eleven minutes. You know that should. In my mind, maybe even be fifteen or. Well, Miller talks about moving, bringing him along slowly. Which, going into the season, he was supposed to be the long-term guy, and then they're like, "Oh, he's better than everyone thought," but still taking, bringing him along slowly, and maybe Stone Getting's injury necessitated necessitated him getting a few more minutes because you lost one of your bigs. Maybe Chase Jeter struggling some to really assert himself and playing soft necessitated Coloco getting more minutes. But at some point, he's going to force his way into that lineup. And right now, it seems like the one who's missing out is Ira Lee, where Jeter's going to get the first one. Jeter's your starter at center. That's not changing, barring an injury for him. But the minutes off the bench for the bigs, especially with Stone Gettings coming back, Ira Lee has to work hard. And I like Ira Lee's game. I'm a big fan of him out there. When he's playing in control, he's a good rebounder, an active defender, makes a few shots. Like He's a fun player to watch when he's playing well. But this is that depth. And... Going to the season, we talked about that where look at this front court Arizona's putting out there. Zeke Naji, Chase Jeter. You have, I guess, Josh Green's a wing. You don't put him on the front court. But Stone Gettings, Ira Lee, Coloco, that's not bad. You have size, you have scoring, you have rebounding. Not a lot of teams, or at least like an ASU doesn't have that type of depth in their front court. I don't know how many teams in the Pac-12 do. But if Coloco keeps improving, or at least can be a guy who you can rely on for 11 to 15 minutes a game to get you a handful of points, five rebounds, and a couple of blocks, that is going to be a game changer for them. Yeah, and I think I think your point on Ira Lee is well taken. I think the challenge for Ira Lee is he's a smaller big, right? What is he, like 6'7"? Yeah, 6'8", yeah. Which means he's probably 6'6", in, <laughs> in reality. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard when Stone Giddings brings... 
outside shooting and can rebound the ball effectively. And, and he uh, plays within himself. He's an in-control yeah. veteran player. He's a, he's a great role player. I think I said last week I love him on the court with Zeke Nagy as somebody to help spread the court and you know avoid double teams by being able to... He had three. five points and five rebounds, Stone Gettings did, yeah. in 17 minutes. Again, and that's... Made a three. That's what you want out of him. Yeah. Right? Um, I think Ira Lee... I, I really like him as a player. I think the challenge for him is what is the matchup and how do you fit on the court with the guys that are on the court with you. So I think there's going to be times when there's like a smaller team. Um, we need to focus more on defense and, and uh, you know, there, there's not as much need to have multiple guys six, nine or above out there. Uh, I think that he can have a really, really big impact in those kind of games. Or there'll be foul trouble or something yeah. where he gets. He, he'll, he shouldn't get, fall out of the rotation. No, he'll he'll continue to get minutes, but I think this is you know one of those. It's around that time where Sean Miller typically starts to trim down who's getting most of the minutes. He played ten guys against ASU, which is unheard of for Sean Miller at this late in the season, right? But it's. I mean, can you blame him? We've got ten guys that are worthy of minutes. Imagine if in Dutrie, that game, yes. Imagine if Dutree was still on the team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I think. I think it's going to be something that sorts itself out, and hopefully, you know, we are able to react thoughtfully to matchups and and uh, different combinations on the court. Because um, I think that's where I, I think everybody that's getting minutes is going to have their opportunities to really impact the game before Pac-12 plays out. And that's where too, Schumler has to manage this team. And he talked about it before the ASU game: guys sliding to their roles and how you need to be better at clearly defining them for players. And he can define them all he wants. Will the players accept them? Will someone like Ira Lee, who's a junior, accept that role? Maybe he's not going to get 10 minutes a game. Whereas last season, he was one of their most improved players, I thought, on a team that needed him to do something. They needed someone to score baskets. They needed someone to get rebounds. And he was as good an option as any by the end of the season. So will someone like Ira Lee be content with that role as a junior? As a freshman, he didn't play much. Okay, he's a junior. Will Max Hazard, if he's not hitting his shots, and he's still been arguably the biggest disappointment, not in a way that he's like hurting the team. He's just not helping the team as much as I no. hoped he would. But will he be content if his minutes start to drop a little bit? And that's where I don't get paid like Sean Miller does to make those decisions. But if you win, when you're winning 75 to 47, not one of those players is allowed to complain. But the schedule will get tougher. There's going to be better opponents than ASU, of course, starting with this weekend when Arizona goes up to the Oregon schools. But I can't speak for you, Brett, but I know... I didn't feel terrible about this team after they lost to St. John's because we talked about it on the show last week that they're still talented. It was a couple of bad games. There's every reason to believe that they'll figure it out. But do you feel at all better just having seen them look like that once again? Yeah, I feel better. I'm not, you know, my, my fundamental view of the team and its potential, and we said this before, hasn't changed. I still think that if we play our game and we, you know, firing on, on all cylinders, we're a top 10, if not top five team. The things I wanted to see against ASU, I saw enough to feel better about things. I feel like some guys got unstuck. You know, Max Hazard still is he's he's like in a he's like in a mental block right now, I think, and he's probably adjusting to coming off the bench and having this role. Yeah, I mean, it, you'd really like to see him get going. You'd like to see, you know, and it's hard for somebody like Ira Lee if he's only getting 7 minutes to really find his role. Um, and there's been, you know, Stone Gettings is coming back from the injury, but he looked pretty good for coming back from the injury. But I'd say most of the guy, rest of the guys on the on the team looked, if not if nobody had a, had a fantastic game, they all looked like they had solid games. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, everyone felt that when you win by nearly 30 and lead from wire to wire, it's going to be hard to pick out anybody who had a bad game because everything looks good. Even when Max Hauser only makes one of four shots, you're like, yeah, that's fine because he didn't cost him. It wasn't like a they needed him to make a big shot and he missed. Oh, man. There wasn't Ira Lee not getting a rebound or turning the ball over. We're like, oh, come on, man. Like It's like this was just a fun game. And for Arizona fans, they needed that. Mm-hmm. I think. And there's going to be a lot more fun games the rest of the season before they start to get really stressful. <laughs> because as the season goes on, they start to become more and more stressful. But if only because it was ASU. We know ASU beat them twice last season. Bobby Hurley's first two wins against Arizona. Got him, and I think it was year five for him or something like that. No, he's doing the math. He's two and seven against Arizona now, Bobby Hurley. <laughs> but for Arizona fans who hadn't seen the Wildcats beat ASU in anything super, like none of the major sports, like Arizona beat ASU women's basketball a couple weeks ago. But when it's like football, baseball, men's basketball, if you want to say hockey, I guess, but I don't think either. Like just Arizona fans to have that game, and it's not one that you go crowing about saying, take that ASU. It's like, yeah, you're supposed to beat them. Arizona's ranked ASU's not very good, yet it had to feel good. To just to watch that total demolition of the Sun Devils. Yeah, and if you're one of those people that's a glutton for uh, asinine conversation and unreasonable takes and go on the message boards, it'll make it a little more pleasant environment to go to for the next couple of days. Um, but yeah, it's you saw what you wanted to see. We know the school has been in need of some more positivity and good news, what with the football program and then the basketball team struggling for losing three out of four in a row. So it sets you up in a good spot. It seems like we got some guys unstuck in terms of being able to hit some shots and feeling better and uh, being more consistent on defense and things like that. And, I, th- you know, we talked about how that break might have been a good opportunity for that, and it's maybe a good thing to come back with, you know, I call them one of our rivals, you don't, to kind of <laughs> get that. I mean, they're a rival well, in a certain way. Well, if you were coming back with, you know, some terrible team to start, the, who's the worst team in the Pac-12 this this year, I don't even know who's struggling. Oh, uh, maybe Stanford. I, I don't know. I mean, Cal, I like probably probably Cal, right? I haven't really been paying attention yet. I mean, yeah. Well, Everyone's been winning a game they shouldn't have won. It seems like. Yeah, but like, I think it's a good thing to come back after that break with a game that has the built-in motivation. Not not last year, notwithstanding, is that extra motivation, and now we get. You know, it's it's a one game, and then we, you go on the road to one of the tougher road trips probably of the season. That's going to be a real tough test, especially in Oregon. And I think this is going to be – this to me feels like the Baylor game where you're going into it. It's like I don't necessarily expect a win, but I think this is going to be a real good measuring stick to see if we've learned any lessons yeah. from where we were a month, two months ago. And just, you know, Peyton Pritchard and Trace Tinkle and at Oregon and Oregon State respectively, you know, they're – the two guys with the two most punchable faces in the Pac-12 basketball uh, of all the rosters. You know, the guys you love to hate when they're not on your team, but, you know, that, they they win. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a good, like, Peyton Pritchard is going to be a good challenge for Nico. Uh, it's going to be something where we're going to, we're going to have a better sense of this team, I think, a week from now than we do right now. I think we have, we, I think we still have a pretty good sense of it, but we're going to really see where, where this team's going to end up in the next, week. Right, we're going to talk about the Oregon trip after this break. You know, Brett, I agree with you about this trip, and it's, <laughs> I guess it goes back to kind of how we felt about Arizona during their good times earlier in the season, when it's like they finally get to play a good team, how do they fare? 
right? When they went to Baylor, like you said, it was their first real test of the season. We saw away from Mikhail Center. How would they do? Now, granted, that was the early start time and their first road game. So it was curious. But then when they came back and played Gonzaga, it was their next chance to beat a good team. And they failed. And then, of course, St. John's, who actually looks better than we all gave him credit for, but they lost that one. Oregon is Thursday night. Arizona has struggled in Oregon, and Eugene, a lot of teams have. That's a good basketball team, Oregon. Where are they number nine in the country right now? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so Arizona's not supposed to win this game. They're not supposed to go on the road with their three freshmen in the starting lineup and beat a veteran Oregon team led by Peyton Pritchard, who I know Sean Miller joked, it seems like they've faced him like 20 times by now. <laughs> He's one of those guys, like, I don't remember a time when Peyton Pritchard was not Oregon's point guard. He's a good player. An experienced yeah. player. He's been to Final Four. Like he's a good player. And for Nico Mannion, who has not been he's not been great lately. He's been he was fine against ASU, but he hasn't been the transcendent point guard that everyone was expecting. You hope this is that game where it gets him back on track facing one of the elite point guards in college basketball. And he says, you know what? I don't think focus is ever an issue for Nico Mannion. I don't want to put it that way where like he needs to be motivated. Like I don't think he does. Maybe this environment will bring that out in him. And I know Miller said he's not worried about Nico against Pritchard, but that's obviously the key matchup in that game. Yeah, I was going to say this is pro- the. I mean, even with the road game on ba- at Baylor and the you know neutral side against St. John's, this is going to be the first actual hostile environment that they're facing. Um, I think we mentioned it like a month ago. I my impression with Nico is that he might be somebody that actually responds really well to a hostile environment because he kind of has that cocky swagger. So I'm curious to see how he reacts uh, more than anybody in the, on the team in terms of going into that hostile environment. The other thing that I think is intriguing about that matchup, you know, Nico is a good athlete, not a great athlete, but I think he's a clearly better athlete, like raw athleticism than Peyton Pritchard. Yeah. And it seems like when Nico has kind of gotten thrown off his game a little bit, it's when he's going against the guys that are a freak athlete, right? To me, this strikes me as a, a really prime opportunity for him to shine against a really good player, but somebody that I think he has the edge athletically on, and I think he can thrive off of that that environment. Or I could be completely wrong, and he has a horrible game and shoots two for 20, but <laughs> you know, my, my gut is telling me he's going to come out and, and he's going to wow a little bit. See, unlike other Oregon teams that we've seen recently, this is very much a guard-oriented team. Pritchard, uh, Chris Duarte, Will Richardson, Anthony Mathis, those are our top four leading scorers. They're all guards. So this is one of those matches where there's no bowl bowl. There's no Dylan Brooks who you just watching like, geez, that guy's good. I don't know how. They don't have those big, there's no Boucher. You know, it's, it's just a more guard-oriented team. With, but with Pritchard, you talk about he doesn't have the athleticism maybe that Nico does, and I agree with you, but he certainly knows where he needs to be defensively. <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys, maybe T.J. McConnell-ish or esque there. Like, not that T.J. wasn't a good athlete. Not that Pritchard's not a good athlete. But I know what you're saying, that raw athleticism, maybe that quickness, that jumping ability. But you also can't, you can't replace that experience that Pritchard has, being in these moments yeah. and knowing where to be defensively in that system. And that's where maybe against ASU, Nico didn't really take it upon himself to be the guy. And that's what Miller talked about, too. He's like, you have Zeke Naji, get him the ball. Maybe that helps Nico, that he doesn't have to carry the team because he doesn't. He's to help set the offense, get things going, make a shot here and there, drive the lane, of course, make the right pass. But this team shouldn't be relying on Nico Mannion. And at the same time, if he has that game where he makes 10 of 15 shots and three threes, you're going to feel pretty good about it. So he's capable of carrying the team. But Arizona at their best probably doesn't have him do that. So when I, watch, when I think of this game, to me it's almost an environment game. Because matchup-wise, it's interesting in that Arizona has more size that they rely on. 
But it's a hostile environment, Matthew Knight Arena. It's a place Arizona hasn't had much success in in recent years. It's a place where Arizona, we've seen them in, what, one true road game this season, and they lost. True road game where they there was probably more Arizona fans. No, I'm talking about the Baylor game. Oh, at the Baylor game. Yeah, yeah. And I know this isn't a 10 o'clock start time. It's So that, that'll probably help, but... I'm kind of glad that the Oregon game is first before Oregon State. Me too. Because if they beat an Oregon State and then played Oregon, it's like, okay, well, if you beat Oregon... Now, granted, if you beat Oregon, maybe you worry about that letdown against Oregon State. Or, conversely, totally say... Or you beat Oregon, you're like, yeah, that's right. We're good. It's a confidence boost for them. And I don't know if they need that confidence boost, but there is something to be said for finally winning a game that you weren't necessarily favored to win by 10, 11, 12. And for Arizona, I think... I think it would, go, it would go a long way if they beat Oregon. Yes, we all want them to beat Oregon. But perception doesn't really matter, I don't think, because they're, we took about their record, where they're at in the net rankings, right? Ken Palm, like they're a better team than their record indicates. They're a better team than their 24th in the country ranking indicates. They don't need to win this game to prove that they're good, but it'd be nice to see them win a game like this to prove that they can. Well, it'd give them some cred- credibility. Because, I mean, it's hard to say, what are they, 12 and 3? It's like it's not like their record's bad when their two losses are to top five teams. Two of the three, two yeah. Two of the three, right? So the difference is really just a St. John's game if you're looking at the record. But you want to see them be able to beat teams yeah. like this. The, the challenge is if you you know, you know don't beat any ranked teams, it's hard to say you should be a ranked team. You're beating who you're supposed to beat, and you're losing who you're supposed to lose to. And with the talent that we have in our and such a heavy lean on freshmen that you would hope develop over the course of the season, which I think we're seeing some signs of that, um, especially like, you know, the fourth freshman being Christian Coloco is really coming on, and Zeke Naji just keeps maintaining. Um, I, I agree with you. I actually like the Oregon game coming first, so that does make me, if we win, it makes me do feel like it might be a letdown against Oregon State. Um the other, the other thing about this matchup what you were, you were uh, noting, going back to something we were talking about before, this could be a game for Ira Lee to shine a little bit as the more experienced guy. And against, I mean, their front line is not... They're, it's not huge. No, I think a lot of their... They have like... I don't even know if that... Uh, does that who's, their, who's their starter at center? Is it Dante or is it... Um, because they've got like one or two really tall guys, and most of their forwards are like six seven six. Yeah, they got Dante's been playing a little bit more recently. Um, he's six eleven, two thirty is what he's listed. At. He's a freshman. Yeah, it's not a he's not a giant. No, he's not, he needs, he's no Christian Coloco. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but who can be? <laughs> uh, but you know they've got a lot of guys that are kind of Irily size, and this is a chance. You know, it might be something where Sean Miller says, "Hey, who do I want to rely on?" In this in this tough environment, I want to go with somebody that's going to be tough de- and defend hard, rebound well. You know, this is going to be a game where the defense needs to show up. But it's also a game where the offense needs to show up to start. You don't want to fall behind yeah. twenty to seven at Oregon. Like we see Arizona in their losses, and it's no coincidence that when they fall behind early, they lose the game. It's not one of those in their three losses they've fallen behind by double digits, and in all their wins they have not. Like, yeah. like no kidding. Like, it's a lot easier to win when you don't fall behind like that. But maybe for Arizona, and that's I want to see them be different. And we're going to talk about the Oregon State game in just a second. But I want to see them be different in this type of game because I guess against Gonzaga, they came out pretty good. But then it fell apart. Baylor, they did not come out good. St. John's, they did not come out good. This is a true road game in a hostile, as hostile environment as they're going to have played in all season long. In a Pac-12 game. So now it matters. Mm-hmm. If you can beat Oregon on the road, that says something for your chances in this conference. On national TV, too. Yeah. 
So if you can, and I don't mean Pac-12 Network. <laughs> that's like half national, maybe. That's generous, isn't it? <laughs> but that's where you look at and say, if they could get onto that fast start, just be in the game because we've seen them the last couple of years. I think the game two years ago when Aiton played and had that almost like that angry game when Sean Miller sat out, or they got off to a good start, just couldn't sustain it. I think the game went to overtime actually. Dylan Smith made a big shot, I think so yeah, or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but we've seen Arizona go up to Oregon and just get housed before. I don't know if they're the type of team Arizona could come back on. I also don't want to have to find out. So get out to a pretty good start in this game. Hang with them. You might be more talented than they are. They have more experience, but you might be more talented. Hang in there and then let your freshmen who feel like maybe play like they have nothing to lose win the game for you. Yeah, I mean, thinking back to the Gonzaga game, they started pretty great, actually. Yeah. And then, you know, the game kind of got bogged down. There was a lot of whistles in the game. And I think the young guys lost some of that focus. And that allowed the very experienced and talented and well-coached Gonzaga team to make, you know, a t- combined 20-point run in about five minutes of game and time. And Oregon's the same way. Yeah. And well-coached, talented, exactly. experienced. I mean, if you're going to say, I mean, we're all we're obviously homers here, and we'll say Sean Miller's the best coach in the Pac-12, but most Pac-12. Well, <laughs> but, I mean, if you're going to pick somebody, if you're not allowed to vote for your coach, I'm probably going Dana Altman, you know, Every day of the It'd week, it's hard to argue on right now. Um, and it's hard to argue with his results in the, over the last however many years. So I, I don't think, I don't think coming out with intensity is going to be the problem. I think it's going to be can they be consistent? And to me, the consistency really means on the defensive end. I always harp on that. And if you, you know, if you force fifteen or more turnovers and get some points in transition, I think that really sets them up for success because I think this team. More than any Sean Miller team that I can remember thrives in transition, even even though I think the stats and the metrics, but I think it's just skewed by some of the, the, the cupcake games they've had. We have a fairly effective half-court offense despite, you know, the pain of the losses. Well, you have Zeke Nagy and some guys who can make threes. Yeah. Um, but nothing beats getting points in transition. And if, you get, and if you're getting stops and getting points in transition in short possessions – you know, that's how you don't let Oregon make a run at home where you fall behind, right? All right, yeah. Let's do a, let's do a choose-your-own-adventure now. If Arizona beats Oregon, we talk about Oregon State in this way. If Arizona loses... <laughs> we talk about Oregon a lot because that's the first game, and obviously they're the higher-ranked team. Oregon State's no picnic either. They used to be. They're not anymore. And that game in Corvallis, that's... I know last season Arizona had probably its most fun win of the season against Oregon State when Devin Dutrieve made that putback off the Justin Coleman miss at the buzzer. That was fun. <laughs> it was like the last fun moment of the season. <laughs> but Oregon State right now, they're 11-3. and three. They're not bad. They're, Trey Tinkle, you know, Sean Miller joked that he's faced Peyton Pritchard like 20 times. I think he said Tinkle it's like 120 times. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those guys where I remember thinking he wasn't that good at first. And then like by his ninth year at Oregon State, like he's got to be a pretty good player. But... <laughs> This is a game where, let me see, depending on what happens against Oregon, it'll impact how you feel like they should fare against Oregon State. But Oregon State's the type of road game that a good Arizona team should win. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's always a challenge to go on the road. And the Oregon trip is always just inherently kind of a challenging trip by the nature of where the universities are. You got to travel long distance to them by both plane. And then if you're flying into Portland, that's not a short drive. Yeah. Um, and they're, I think, relatively hard places to play. But I think you're right, and I think that it, they should be a team that this team, this Arizona team beats. 
But it all comes down to that consistency, right? And Trace Tinkle is one of those. He's the guy that has had the the old man skills for, <laughs> for his entire life. He's going to be dominating the YMCA in like two seasons when he finally gets out of college. As somebody who would like to think that I'm a pretty good basketball player and with very very little sheer raw athleticism, I'd like you know I think I, I appreciate the guys that have old man game at you know 20 years old. But he's also well rounded old man game, averaging Absolutely. about 20.7 rebounds, four assists, two steals. Making forty five percent of his threes. I mean, his coach's son. He's he's got a high basketball IQ. And again, when you're a twelfth year senior, you should have a refined skill set. Perry Ellis at Kansas says he's <laughs> a fine young man. <laughs> a whippersnapper. Uh, Ethan Thompson. He's been around for a while too. Remember him? He's averaging sixteen point four points and about five rebounds and five assists. He's a good player. Uh, Kyler Kelly or Kyler Kelly, excuse me, eleven points, five rebounds. Like they're a pretty balanced team, but no one other than Tinkle really. Tinkle and Thompson really sounds like a law firm. <laughs> Tinkle and Thompson. I don't know where the rest of it goes, but they're the they're the two guys you have to focus on with Oregon State. But they're also that team where depending on what happens against Oregon, if Arizona loses, you better hope they come out just fired, saying we're not getting swept on this road trip and just yeah. take it to Oregon State. They beat Oregon. You worry about the letdown, but you also hope for the. Let's sweep this road trip. We can do that. Like Oregon State's coming off a win over Colorado in Colorado. <laughs> like that's that's that, dumb. <laughs> like yeah. That shouldn't have happened. So they're plenty capable. And we talk about Oregon being experienced. This is an experienced roster, too. That's pretty well coached in a hostile environment. And this road trip is not an easy one. And that's what it comes down to. It's And it's early in Pac-12 play. It is very much a prove-yourself like prove type of road trip because you're facing well the best players that Arizona's facing, Pritchard and Tinkle, are veterans, right? They're not facing a dynamic freshman like Washington has, or I don't know if UCLA has any good freshmen this year. I think they aren't very good. But they're not facing those guys. They're facing experienced good players who maybe aren't as talented as Arizona. Like Top to bottom, Arizona probably has more talent than both these teams they're playing. It's young talent, largely, which means you don't know how they're going to react in these situations. So whatever happens against Oregon, Oregon State's going to be probably an equally big game because... Yes, a win over Oregon would be huge. But if you follow up with a loss to Oregon State, you just mitigated what you accomplished. And if you lose to Oregon, you damn well better beat Oregon State. So maybe that game being second is a positive because no matter what happens on Thursday against Oregon, it's still a huge game for Arizona. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when you were speaking, I was kind of thinking in terms of this road trip, the Oregon game might tell us what this Arizona roster is and team's ceiling is, and the Oregon State game, win or lose against Oregon, might tell us what the floor is. Or like what they're, like the Oregon, like the how Oregon they, game, how they, they react. Yeah. Like Oregon tells you how talented they are, what they could actually accomplish. Oregon State tells you where their head's at, maybe where their medal exactly. is. Like That's exactly. no matter what happens Thursday, do they have it in them to win on Sunday? How focused are they? How tough are they? How, how consistent are they? Because I, th- I, I don't think motivation is going to be the problem against Oregon. I think it's going to be execution. You'd hope not, yeah. I think it's going to be execution and consistency. You know, this is the first two-game, you know, road trip also to hostile environments for both. So that'll tell me something about their mental and physical toughness and their consistency and how they react to the Oregon game, win or lose. Because that tells me much more about, you know, how, how, you know, like I said, what the floor could be for this. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I agree with you there. And even individually, too, there are some matchups that you want to see where, you know, Arizona shut down Remy Martin pretty good, or at least he didn't do anything against Arizona. He had the quietest 20-point game. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll take it. But it wasn't like they shut like they shut him down pretty good as a guy who torched him last season. Obviously, can Arizona handle Peyton Pritchard? Can they can they handle Trey Tinkle? Trey Tinkle? Can they handle Ethan Thompson? Like those are the things where you want to see. And you know, Pritchard or Pritchard will probably be a Josh Green or Dylan Smith assignment. I would think not an Eco Mannion one. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. They've got a lot of guards, I think, that are bigger than Pritchard, though, don't they? Yeah, which makes it tough. Like, you, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up. Tinkles and other guys, six seven, probably Josh Green. That that would be an interesting matchup, I would think. Or if uh, a guy off the bench, Ira Lee guarding him might actually maybe. be really fascinating. Maybe, but it's that's what makes this such a curious road trip. Is there are some intriguing matchups just individually too for Arizona because they have guys who largely haven't proved themselves capable of stopping players like this, but they were brought in to stop players like this. Like Josh Green was supposed to be that Ronda Hellas-Jefferson type of stopper, that Nick Johnson type of stopper on the perimeter, but he's also big enough to maybe guard a 6'7 forward in Tinkle. And, of course, Ethan Thompson, 6'5 guard, Dylan Smith or Josh Green, whoever's there. Like, I'm curious because that would show that what these guys are there for, what we think Arizona can be, they actually can be. It's one thing to just assume, oh, yeah, Josh Green's a good defender. He's 6'5", 6'6". He can handle that guy. Well, can he? You know, we're talking about can Ira Lee. Oh, he might be a good guy on Tinkle. Well, can he be? And that's what we have to see. Or conversely, the mismatch, Arizona has more size than these teams have. Can they take advantage of that? Can they get the ball to Najee? Can they get Jeter going? Can Coloco do his normal thing where he just dominates and, you know, saves the free world? Like, these are all <laughs> things we have to see. Well, to that to that end, if if we continue to see more Christian Coloco, there's a subtle difference in your defensive rotations when you have a guy like Coloco who's going to go for the shot block versus uh, you know a guy like Chase Deer that's just trying to go you know put his hands up yeah. and uh, and make you take a tough shot. Um, there's is a, there's a little bit difference uh, of a difference in terms of like the backside guys that have to rotate down and. You know, Coloco's biggest strength is his, other than his height, is his wingspan. It's just enormous combined with athleticism. Oh, it changes everything for teams, for players when they drive the lane when there's a guy like that. Yeah, so he's, you know, when you got long arms, it's hard to wrap passes around because you can, you know, move your arms faster than you can move your body. Speak for yourself, Brett. <laughs> you it looks really awkward for me. Actually, my body's moving before my arms. You, it's <laughs> You're like, it's a, like a lava lamp that you can't look away from, but you also never want to turn on. Interesting uh, image there, Adam. <laughs> I'm sorry for everyone who now is picturing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right though. I think there's going to be there's going to be ample opportunities for interesting matchups and see how I, w- I would presume that Sean Miller and the staff have been preparing for these games even while preparing for the ASU game just because they had the the break. Um, you know, they toyed around with deploying the zone before the break. Saw it a little bit against ASU, but it wasn't necessary or it wasn't enough no. to be like, yep, they can do that or they should do that. I, that felt to me more like I want to get us some live practice in doing the zone. Yeah. Um, because in the right situation, and if, like, if Oregon's team is just you know hitting the iron on a bunch of long jump shots, you know that's a way to, to... Or late in a game when you need to get a stop, you can switch to a zone and try to confuse an offense too. Like people do that. Teams have done that against Arizona, where late it's like, oh, that, now they're running a zone when they've been playing man the whole game. It's another thing, another tool to have in that belt, in the toolbox there for Sean. Well, if if we execute that defense effectively, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that a sign of Sean Miller's growth too? Though, where there were times before he's like, there was no way in the hell he was going to run his own defense. It's like you know what. Come hell or high water, he's going to play his pack line defense. They're going to play man. 
But now the last couple of seasons we've seen at least toy with zone. Like last year, I think he did it for a couple of possessions. Like, yeah, no, this this is terrible. The team wasn't very good, so that was a given. This team, it's more like it's like he's not accepting defeat. But he's saying, you know what? This might be a good thing to have. It's like an in case of emergency break glass for your zone defense. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this might be a, uh, like you said, a choose-your-own-adventure. Do you think this is a sign of growth for Sean Miller? Turn to page 63. If you think it's a sign of desperation, turn to page 122. <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> and I guess it depends on the game, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think it's short. I, like, I understand the stubbornness, especially in, in a program where you're trying to have NBA-level athletes. You know, most NBA-level a- athletes, you shouldn't have to run a zone. Um, and if you're trying to get guys drafted, they don't get to showcase their defensive talents and their athletic ability as much in a zone. Um, you know, Washington is the exception. They have a good zone, and they've and they've got they've got they've got athletes. Yeah. Um, but that's just that's their philosophy, and it's you know in a, in a funny way, it's almost like a football team that runs a unique offense. If you do it really effectively, like Syracuse has done that for forever too, right? Or if Navy, we're not running the triple offense or option on defense. With three Ps. <laughs> so, it, you know, I don't know if it's a sign of growth or desperation, especially in the last couple of years. I think it might have been more desperation. I have gotten the impression in kind of reading Sean Miller's body language and hearing his comments in interviews and in press conferences, I think he has loosened up a little bit in terms of loosening on the reins. You know, he's letting the kids run a little bit more on offense than he ever used to. He seems more apt to go to the zone without looking like he swallowed a lemon. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't, it's, it's maybe a little column A, a little column B. Um, you know, there is, there is, it's you're being too stubborn and too rigid when you lose and you're being a great leader if you win. It's one of the, it's kind of one of those things, yeah. right? If you're stubborn with the defense, um, you know, what's the right answer? None of us really know. As long as they win, it's the right answer. Yeah, exactly. If if they win, nobody cares that you ran 20% of the defensive uh, sets out of a zone, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's – I tend to come down on the side of I think it's a useful thing to have at your disposal, but you need to have practiced it enough. And maybe I think that's what was happening with ASU, to be able to do it effectively um, when you feel the need to deploy that. Well, Brett, Arizona football did a thing. Let's talk about that after this break. Okay, Brett, so the football team hired another coach, defensive line coach Stan Egan, comes from uh, New Mexico State. I thought thought it was UNM. UNM, yeah, New Mexico, which is a state. (laughs) So there's a New Mexico? (laughs) He comes over from New Mexico to coach a defensive line, 40-year veteran in college football ranks, and... Clearly going for the guy that can, can connect with the kids. He's <laughs> <laughs> actually supposedly a decent recruiter. Yeah. But between Paul Rhodes, that defensive coordinator, and Egan, who I know is a Rhodes guy, it's clear that Arizona coaches either they're having to settle for these guys, which I'm sure there's part of that. Because, again, this is a, a team where you're like, is this coaching staff going to be around next? You know, all of next season and the one after? But also, I've said many times, or at least a few times, that they need to have coaches who could just maximize the talent they have. Teachers, tacticians, people who can say, hey, Scotty Young, we're going to get you to be in the right place all the time. Colin Sklar, we're going to get you back to what you can be. Tony Fields, same thing. It seems like they're going that route. Like You see up north, ASU's hiring 25-year-old guys to coach cornerbacks. They've never coached cornerbacks before because they're great recruiters. That's fine. That's one way to go about it. But Arizona's almost like they're saying, okay, well, never mind that this recruiting cycle is at least you know three-quarters of the way over. 
But just saying we're going to get coaches in here who can get the most out of what this team has. And if that's the case, if these coaches are that good and can help the players that are on the roster improve, I'm going to be curious to see maybe how much better they will be with better coaching. Yeah, it seems to me with this hire, they're kind of, they're, it's more, you know, we talked about how you need to have, for Arizona to have, be successful as a program, you need to have guys that can A, recruit, they need to be able to develop, you need to be able to motivate, right? And fourth is scheme, but the line, defensive you know, line coaches and position so coaches yeah. aren't usually the schemers, right? So with, with Egan, you're definitely getting somebody that can, on the recruiting trail, point to some pretty big names that he has coached and gotten to the NFL. Uh, I mean, you would hope so after 40 years and some pretty... <laughs> he must, I hope he was doing something right. I mean, he was at some pretty big programs, too, so he has some really great experience, and he has, you know, I'm sure he will throw Von, Von Miller's name around to every uh, defensive <laughs> recruit he talks to. Um, and I think there was a couple other... Michael real, Bennett, Red yeah. Bryant. I mean, Michael, Michael Bennett is one of those guys that's like a perfect example of if we're going to try to get NFL talent, it needs to be guys that develop, right? Yeah. Not necessarily... He didn't come in highly recruited. He wasn't... Excuse what, like a, even when he got drafted, he was like a late draft pick, right? I think so. Like a sixth or seventh round pick. In my mind, the the position where you need to, to be able to develop the most, uh, partially because it's probably the hardest to recruit for, is the defensive line. So in that sense, you know, I, I kind of feel like as you move out in the layers on the defense, you can you need to rely more on recruiting, like at the corners more. You just need freak athletes and size. And linebackers, you need, you know, the freak athlete is not as important, but you need to be coached and schemed in the right position and developed. Defensive line for, for a program like Arizona, you need to be able to get the guys that are the raw talent but get the most out of them. So in that sense, I think it's a fairly smart hire. You know, we'll, time, time will tell. Sure. Um, and, I mean, there's already some intriguing guys on that roster. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Line. Um, and so if he can get the most out of those guys, if he can get the most out of J.B. Brown, if he can turn Keon Bars into you know, a really productive player, which I think his upside is very high, if you can, even, if you can get Mikey Irving to be a contributor. If Jalen Harris can take that step forward you know, that everyone was expecting out of him this past season. There's, there's more talent there than there has in talent and size on the defensive line than there has been in a few years. We think. I mean, it, ha- it hasn't shown itself. It hasn't well, manifested our best, itself. But our, our defensive tackle, best defensive tackle isn't 240 pounds anymore. So that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's an improvement. Um, plus, I think there is a, there's a potential grad transfer who's a big, strong uh, interior defensive lineman from UNM that, you know, immediately people are like, oh, well, we should be able to get him, and he. I think he ha- gets immediate eligibility. Yeah, he he's a grad an, transfer. I think he's, a, I think he's an injury redshirt too. And that, and that's where we're talking about what he can bring in. And obviously, or at least it seems to me that the focus with these hires, which again, we don't know how much of it is just them having to settle for certain types of coaches, but they're going for teachers. They're trying to maximize what they have. Saying either they're accepting they're not going to get four and five star talents. So let's coach up the two and three stars, or they're saying, you know what, the talent on the roster is better than it showed. Let's coach them up. But even with recruiting, you're talking about they might get that guy from his old school. Players, like they like a guy they can relate to, sure. They like even more as a guy who can get them to the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> and Egan, he can point to some of those players. And Grant, over 40 years, we're saying, here's the six guys he sent to the NFL. That's not a great percentage. But the point is, if he can point to players and say, I helped this guy, and that player can vouch for him. And there's, I think there was an article that Von Miller talked about how important Egan was to his career and getting him to where he was. That matters. 
<laughs> you know, so yeah, he's. I forget how old he is. I think he's in his. I think he's sixty-six. Like okay, so yeah, you can say oh, because he, he can relate to these guys. He's going to be sliding into the DMs and playing Xbox with them or something. Probably not. He is on Twitter though. I saw, but the bigger he's thing, on the Twitter machine. He's on the Twitter. He uses it to keep track of his grandchildren. Fires up his computer, and when the internet loads on the modem after the phone line is, you know. Yeah, but if he can get guys to the NFL, and that's what it comes down to. And Arizona football, really, since Stoops, hasn't sent guys to the NFL. And the idea was someone bringing in what he has. It's obviously came from the ACC, or the SEC, excuse me, and sent guys to the NFL, had... Number one pick, Miles Garrett was one of his. Christian Kirk was one of You know, like, he had these players that he sent in the NFL, and the hope was he could do that at Arizona. And so far, obviously, two years, and he hasn't done that. But instilling an offense that Mazzoni runs, which is more pro-ish than what Rich Rodriguez ran, you have a defensive coordinator in Paul Rhodes who's been a head coach. He seems like a tactician, will help guys improve and maximize their talent. You bring in Egan, who seems a similar style. If they can win, again, they, it's... Like, and they have to prove it. They can hire as many coaches as they want. I remember being excited about Marcel Yates. And <laughs> that didn't work out so well. So I understand that. But these guys have more of a track record doing what they're hired to do than a lot of the coaches Arizona's brought in in the past. So if they can go out there and have this team improve, they won four games last season. Okay, they won five the year before. If they can win another two or three games and get to a bowl game, then you'll feel better and maybe say, this is the coaching staff that would have started with this type of staff two years ago. Where is Arizona football now? So... Not to say coaches can make that huge of a difference because I mean, maybe a defensive coordinator can, but a defensive line coach, we'll see. But if they can make any noticeable impact on that side of the ball, Arizona's going to be probably better than people think because there doesn't seem, it's not a great defense. We talked about it. There's some good players on that defense, and there's some intriguing players on that defense. The secondary, especially, I think, is starting to look really like the cornerbacks. They have some pretty good depth there. One of the other hardest positions yeah. to recruit for. So it's maybe if you're an Arizona fan and you're probably pessimistic about football, I wouldn't blame you. But if you want to be optimistic, you could say maybe coaching was holding them back. Now, that's what you have to say right now. Otherwise, you're like, oh, yeah, they're just terrible, and they're going to be bad next year too. But if you want to believe that coaching was a problem, or if you believe that Paul Rhodes is a step up from Marcel Yates, and Eggins a step up from Iona Ugalele. I don't, but yeah. Good Ronnie, come back. <laughs> Better than Coach Iona. Then, then you would say, okay, these players who we think maybe underachieved last season, because even going into last season, we thought that defense had more talent than it had, had in a few years at least. If they underachieved, then this is the type of coaches you would like to think will get them at least closer to what they should have been. And if that's the case, then Arizona's going to be a more surprising team than people think. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to sound just like a homer. I just think this is a truism in college football. The difference between a four or five win team and like a seven and eight win team is not really that much. You know how many how many games in the last two years where it's like, gosh, if it wasn't for this, any one of these three plays doesn't happen, you win that game, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where. You know, better coaching, better development, putting your players in the best chance to be successful. You know, for Arizona, having a more consistent offense will actually help the defense, I think, too. Um, I think a Grant Gunnell run offense is going to be more sustained drives, even if it doesn't produce uh, any difference in terms of total points scored. Um, but I think I think that these kind of hires can make an impact. You know, Kion Wilborn... You know that guy was the all you know Pac-12 hey, freshman a few years ago. Yeah, he had, what four sacks in the one in the one game? Uh, I forget who that, who that was against, but like 
you know, I know he put on maybe some non-football weight, and, and then got off, and he was better last season. Yeah, but you know, he's there's there's still there's still lumps of clay there that can be molded into something that's effective. Not saying you know the difference. Now I said the difference between a four or five win team and a seven and eight win team is not that much. Now the difference between a seven eight win team and a nine or ten win team I actually think is a much more talent. I think that's a mu- <laughs> I actually think that's a much bigger difference. That's a few more four stars and yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not. Don't listeners don't think I'm totally <laughs> crazy. Um, you know, you got to be lucky and good to get to ten wins. You know, like I've, we've said, I've said a couple times on this podcast. You know, things are never as good or as bad as they seem in the moment. And I don't think this football team is as bad as the message boards would be leading you to believe well, or Twitter it, of Arizona fans. And they won four games last season. They I mean, lost their last seven. Record, yeah. So it's it's hard to say that they weren't bad, but I. I People, I, I guess me saying that they aren't bad just falls in line with everything I've said for the last, you know, six months. I'm like, yeah, I think this team's pretty good. And talent-wise, and we saw them in certain games defensively, Washington the first half, USU the first half, ASU the entire game, they weren't just run over and destroyed. Just, they were one of those, like, the dam finally broke in a lot of those games, in large part because the offense was incompetent in those games. But I see these hires, and they don't do a lot to move the needle. Like, you don't say, like, yeah. Paul Rhodes, yeah, Stan Egan. But you also say, you know what? When you take a look at these guys and what they bring to the table, their track records, it's like, okay, that's not bad. Because for Arizona right now, the key is just building something that's, I guess, consistent and I guess that you can rely on, which is the same thing as consistency. But when you talk about the fundamentals of football and just having guys be where they're supposed to be, know what they're supposed to do in certain situations, these types of hires are coaches. They're not flashy, but they might have more substance to them in terms of what they can teach these players. And, again, if you can win games and get guys to the NFL, then you'll get higher-level recruits. So I don't mind it. It's the football offseason, which for the last couple of years has been the best time for Arizona football, right? It's, it's like nothing bad has seemed to happen in the offseason lately, I guess. <laughs> Arizona football undefeated in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Take that. Soon to be probably Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> But that, but that's where they're at right now. So I know people are going to this offseason, like, again, you wonder why these hires take so long, and that's, a, that's an understandable question because did it cost them a Jason Harris? Perhaps. Did it cost them other recruits? Perhaps. And there are some guys who probably are still going to sign with them but didn't in the early period because they were kind of waiting to see what would happen on that side of the football with that coaching staff. Those are reasonable questions, and I'd love to have sometime get an answer to that. Like, why, if you're going to hire Paul Rhodes, why'd it have to ha- take till a couple weeks ago? If you're going to hire Egan, why'd it take till now? Yeah. But they're on the staff that's getting filled out. And my guess is by the time it's over with, people don't like Noel Mazzoni, and that's fine. And certainly special teams has some question marks if you want to look at the coaching staff. But the defensive staff, I think, is going to be solid. That's not going to wow. These aren't going to be like these hot shot guys. Like, oh, that guy's going to be a head coach someday. They're not going to have those guys, but they're going to play guys who you say, all right, Arizona's going to be about as good as they should be with what the coaching is. You're not going to feel like you're getting led down by the coaches on that side of the ball. And that... That's Sesson, because how many times over the last four years is like, what is this defense doing with Marcel Yates? We're playing 10 yards off a receiver when it's third and three. Or how many even third and 15s did Arizona give up? Or just different things where you're like, what is happening? I don't get the impression we're going to have those frustrations with this coaching staff. Now, it doesn't mean we won't because it's still Arizona football. There's always going to be frustration. But you get the feeling that in terms of just the football intelligence, the the background, the experience. The there's, yeah, there's so much there right now just between these last two hires where it's going to be hard for them not to be at least a little better just through osmosis even. Yeah, you, you know, 
Marcel Yates clearly was not his his biggest success was neither recruiting nor scheme nor developing players. You know, we had I think high hopes for him coming out of uh, over from Boise State, but it just just never happened. It just for different reasons it didn't work out. Um, you know, I think in terms of getting the most out of the current players, the two hires so far on defense are actually going to be the boring, non-sexy, but effective hires. Uh, and it, to me, it really uh, opens up and begs the question of what's the, the last hire going to be? Probably a safeties coach if Rhodes is going to handle the linebackers. Yeah, you'd gotta, you'd, you have to think they're probably going to try to go a little younger. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it'd be hard to go older. I mean, unless they're putting a job posting in the AARP magazine. Wade for, Phillips uh, is available now. I know he's <laughs> not working defense. He's not doing anything for the Rams anymore. They let him go. So do you want to coach safeties at Arizona? I mean, we got to have one of the older pe- coaching staffs at this point in the in the pack, don't we? With Mazzoni and someone's not that young. People think he's younger <laughs> than he is. You know, he's like pushing. He's not that far from 60. Really? Yeah. He's he's like, I, I think he's somebody that looks younger than he is. Yeah. Um. We'll see. I think, you know, Demetrius Martin, I think is, it sounds like he's safe, which makes sense. He's a good, he's the best recruiter probably on the staff. And it fits my logic of like, I want the guys that can recruit coaching the corners because I think that's where you just need the raw athletes. I think you can go a couple different ways in terms of, you know, the safety coach, if that's what it's going to be. I don't think it's the door is closed on it. Um, The other thing that I think that the Egan hire tells me in conjunction with uh, the Rhodes hire is we're definitely going to a pro-style defense, which can have a, a subtle impact on recruiting, especially for, like, the linemen. Because if you're trying to play a, you know, a scheme that does not cater to the types of defensive linemen or pass rushers that the NFL wants, shockingly, it's not hard to get... <laughs> it's, it's hard to get those guys to want to come play in that system if it's not what the NFL scouts want to see, Yeah, right? You know, of course, you're competing with the big boys... But, you know, at least that's one less, you know, tactic that somebody can negatively recruit against you. You know, I think I'm, I'm real curious to see, though, how they go with the last defensive coach hire. Uh, I'm even more curious how Springer still has his job on the special teams. But that strikes me as we're still paying off legal bills and we need to, <laughs> you know, he's got a low. I think he's got the lowest salary on the staff. So one would hope it seems to me like that is a like guy's got a lot of energy. But, you know, just like a 4-8 and eight team, like, at some point, it's got to be a results-based industry, right? Yeah. Um, if, the, if the special teams look as bad as they did the last year, I can't imagine no matter what happens, you know, even if we win nine games somehow, if the special teams look that disastrous and we win despite that, I can't imagine he's coming back. Yeah, if special teams is as bad as it was last year, then they're not winning nine games. Well, that can, but, yeah, that can look, yeah. But that, so it's one more hire left for the football coaching staff, and then... I guess the, I don't know when the next recruiting or the next signing day is when it opens up again. I know it's is it a couple of weeks or a week I, from I now. Think is the, your, is it, so I want to say it's late January, early February. So it's coming up soon. Day. So Arizona's class, which doesn't look great, will probably get better. They're gonna there's some guys that committed to Arizona that didn't sign that when they do it'll make the class look better. They'll go up their rankings. It's still not going to be one that you write home about. But if these coaches can get the most, if one of their decent evaluators of talent. And even last year, some of the impact players, like they were actually pretty good. They were lower rated, but they were pretty good players. So they might be pretty good at that aspect. Then can they coach it up? And that's what's going to come down to. But that's football and basketball, the Oregon trip. We'll see what happens. It's a big one. It's the first big Pat 12 road trip of the season. 
arguably the biggest, unless you want to say Washington, Washington State. But I think this the is mountain probably, schools are a tough. That's trip. tough too. Yeah, so it, it doesn't get easier from here. But we'll see what happens there. We're going to talk about all of that next week. Oh, you got something? No. You look like you want to say something. No, I'm just having such a good time, Adam. Oh, thanks, Brett. Me too. <laughs> we'll have a better time next week if we're talking about a couple of wins. But until that happens, bear down. Bear down.